0: good morning everyone welcome to another podcast as you might know my name is Daly and daily has a special announcement today because this is going to be my last podcast um the year's over my board year's over so that means that i'm going to hand it over it's going to be done by marloes attama and julia drijver aka the Reufens assessor and the treasurer of next year and i've heard some of their ideas and it's going to be amazing so stay tuned for that um, besides that, I'm here with Thomas Prince, also Reuven's assessor.
1: Hi, lovely to see you all.
2: But
0: most importantly, of course, Dr. Michael Kuipers. Welcome.
2: Hello.
0: How long did it take you to travel here?
2: I think about 15 minutes. Okay, so you live yeah. quite close. I live quite close, okay. yeah. Are you a Leidner? No, you. even this morning, I got vaccinated this morning and the lady uh, said like, ha, ah, you're a Zuiderling. You're from the <laughs> South. Yep, I am. 20 years uh, away oh, wow. from there. But uh, the accent is still there. It's become a weird mix between... You having, know, having, coming from the South, having lived in Leiden than, than the UK, and back here. I don't know what it is now. It's Funnily enough, in, in Cambridge, people often thought I was Canadian for some reason.
1: Oh, it's not a bad thing. Not it's a bad <laughs>
2: To start off
0: the podcast, we always start with some rapid-fire questions. Um, Camping or hotels? Camping. Beach or forest?
2: Mountains. (laughs) Well, that that (laughs) was not an option. Uh, Okay, forests. 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 um, I don't care for the beach. It's very... uh, Sandy. uh, It's uh, it's very sandy. sandy. No, I think it's... It can be nice for a while, but uh, no, I don't think the beach is very exciting.
0: What's your favorite food?
2: Oh, that's also that's such a complex question. I love cooking, so um that's that's how I relax in the evening. Um so it it changes. So I really appreciate f- um dishes that are extremely simple. So with with the kind of food that also is like a specific dish that I make with beans. beans doesn't seem to be very sort of it's not highbrow in any way it's not pretentious in any way and it's made with just the herbs that you have at home and it's made with some leftover fat either lard or olive oil or whatever you can make this super hearty soup and just the simplicity of that but still being this extremely good dish that is something I really appreciate those Mm. kind of dishes yeah, I, I. We can also I talk for it's half it's an hour about food. <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy about that. But I'm well, very curious to know there.
1: what is what is a pretentious dish.
2: What is a pretentious <laughs> dish? <That's>, oh. <laughs> Lobster and
0: caviar. Yeah, oh, for yeah, instance, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You don't necessarily need all these super fancy ingredients to have a very good meal. Do you prefer books or movies? Um, I prefer. Books, but the honest answer would be, I have time for neither. And at this point in my life, with you know, having a, having a small uh, kid at home, yeah. You prefer sleeping one, nowadays. I, I prefer <laughs> sleeping.
0: That's fair. But do you have a favorite author, maybe, or a director, or an actor, maybe an actress?
2: Uh, no, definitely no actor or actress. I wouldn't even know names. That's hard, so I I don't care for it. But there are obviously uh, uh, some some movies that I like, or especially also documentaries that I really appreciate. That has to do with the fact that I I I I make more documentaries myself.
0: Do you have any pets?
2: No. Would you like any pets? Yeah, I would like a cat, but uh, it's not possible where I live now. What is your favorite holiday destination? Uh, I don't have a favorite destination, I don't do destinations, so um, most of my travels in the last um, almost 10 years is uh, by bike, so there was no, well there was a destination as in at some point I had to return, but yeah, no, uh, so no destination, I was moving, cycling,
0: yeah. So you, what people usually take on holiday, you put in bags on the back of your bike and you just cycle off.
2: Yeah. So I started with a trip to um, Santiago de Compostela. That was my first really big uh, trip and then I got completely addicted. And since um, I've traveled to, I've cycled to Rome, cycled in Norway, to Denmark, cycled about 2,000 kilometers in Japan. Um, through the Pyrenees, yeah, so lots of cycling. did you have a favorite
1: route between all of those?
2: I think the first one was still the best so the the to Santiago de Compostela, there was this beautiful mix between uh nature and culture it's obviously a very old trail that you follow, and you sense that everywhere but it's also the recognition of that route and doing that travel which when i started it i thought like well i'm sure we can find occasionally a nice place to stay because it's on that route um but you are really recognized as a pilgrim so i did put this shell on my uh bike and we we, we went away here in leider and already in alpha and people were were sort of nodding to us and saying, ah, Bon Camino, Bon Camino, instantly recognizing that we were making this trip. And that happened throughout the trip. And we also stayed just in in really magnificent places, like cloisters, I slept in churches, I parked my bike in the middle of churches and chapels. So yeah, culturally, it's an extremely rich uh, travel, but it's also beautiful just in terms of all the place all the nature everything where you cycle through so that combination was just so nice and because it was the first time I think just realizing that you can actually do that in the end we had cycled 2911 kilometers and just the realization that you can do that actually on a bike on your you know using your own only your own muscles was fantastic
0: yeah and especially because uh the Camino de Compostela, the the it's a pilgrimage for Catholic people mm. for the people that don't know. And um it's it's quite common for non Dutch people to go there, to walk there and it's something that says resilience and, and that's what I hear in your story as well, that you cycle twenty nine hundred kilometers and and actually most people that walk it put it on their resumes as, as like I did that.
2: In Spain, that's even considered, uh, yeah, it's a good thing that you, yeah. if you have that on your resume. That's also, the, the well, the tricky thing is that some people start, uh, what was it, uh, in Ponte Ferrara, I believe. It's only like 100 kilometers before Santiago. That's sort of the, the minimum amount that you need to walk. And then you see these people doing the absolute minimum amount. They also don't carry their luggage. It's being carried by vans. Oh. And it's only... To put it on their resume. So it felt. You know. Having cycled there. All the way. And then suddenly you come into this. And it became this circus. And you saw people in the morning. Who was who were going to walk here. Huh? And then doing these exercises. Like jumping up and down. And you're just watching. like what are you That doing? is just stupid. <laughs> yeah. We just passed. You know. People walking. All the way from saint the uh the poor which is where uh, other people start. Nobody would ever do that. <laughs> Only sort of the Yeah, it was it it So yeah, we talk we talked to these people and we asked them like why, why 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 are you walking uh, this part and it was to put on that resume. Yeah. Walking 100
0: kilometers is still, I mean, a really Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah big yeah. distance. Yeah, cycling 100 kilometers is quite impressive for some It's very impressive. So, but to, like, make it into
2: a whole show, I don't know if that's
0: the right thing because it's supposed to be a sober pilgrimage journey.
2: Yeah, that was certainly not the case in that last part. There was nothing. So it was, I mean, the whole trip has had been sort of indeed quite sober and you sleep, in, as I said, in all these special really nice places and when you get to spain you have all these auberges where you um uh, stay together with the walkers even the people that walk and um, uh, sharing yeah s- sleeping areas but it's still all sort of really quiet down and then in that suddenly when we hit that place there and it became massive and you had like Entire uh, gym classes, completely filled, like with six hundred people sleeping there. It's almost yeah. I was it's, it's, it's looking. It almost looked like a refugee camp. There was like one toilet for. <laughs> Luckily, we, I mean, we were on a bike, so we could it's, we could simply skip that whole uh, city.
1: That well, sounds like an unforgettable.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was definitely an unforgettable trip. I really liked it, and as I said, I became pretty much addicted to cycling, and have been have been cycling ever since until now, (laughs) until my daughter was born, (laughs) 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 dictating my (laughs) time.
0: Yeah, well, maybe she'll maybe she'll like no
2: destination,
0: no destination, no, and I agree as a uh, enthusiast cycling. A holidayist myself, I I agree with that. Usually what you do is you just grab your bike, you have some idea of where you're going and you just see how much you can do in two weeks. Uh, what's your favorite music genre? Do you have something? Because we were talking about metal before and many of the people in LAP know that you make a playlist with archaeologically themed songs. Yeah. <laughs> do you... Do you is is music one of your
2: big hobbies um yes well it definitely used to be so before um coming to leiden um i was actually uh, involved as a volunteer i was a band programmer in a small um, uh, uh venue back in brabant huh? in the south so yes i was really deeply involved in the music scene as a yeah, as a, as a programmer. Uh, and I used to, I, I was, when I was a student, I spent, I guess, most of my money on going to concerts and uh, festivals. Uh, so yeah, music has always been a big uh, part of my life. And I, I still very much enjoy it. I basically always have music on when I work. And well whether, do I like something specific? No, it's very, very broad also. I guess also as a my background as a programmer also taught me that you know you have I can appreciate many styles of music, but yeah also now with the teaching with the online teaching to keep it enjoyable I uh, I, I I make playlists together with students which I also really enjoy actually taught me a lot of new uh, m- yeah music and bands we discovered several new bands which I really liked I was also surprised by how much old crap is in there like come on guys you're all young what the hell what's with all this 70s music
0: <laughs> well we are still archaeologists <laughs> yeah. so we enjoy too <laughs> 70s
1: music is officially
2: archaeology now <laughs> is it yeah it is, yeah, it, is. It, is. Oh, it is early yeah. 70s I mean, obviously it's also good <laughs> but i just i was surprised how much old music was in there yeah, so I did one for the landscape archaeology project. Also did one for uh, the my uh, master uh, course on how materials shape the world, and there the theme was materials. So mm. any song with a material in there. <laughs> so that also created quite an interesting That's uh, playlist. That's yeah, cool. I can imagine.
0: You were saying that you teach. Um, that you teach a master class it's because you're uh, assistant professor for the faculty of archaeology. Mm-hmm. Well, what does this mean? Well
2: as a officially <laughs> as assistant professor your time is 60% teaching, 30% research, 10% management. Practically okay. you spend a lot more time on teaching if you want to do it well and I I, I, I enjoy teaching. I really enjoy the interaction with students. I like to make my lectures also fun, as in obvious. Well, yeah, the the that master course on theory. It's it's not an easy class. I realize it's not an easy class. You know, I really push my students through a lot of tough texts. But I think if you if you do that in a way where you really yeah, I really care for that course and and the students that are part for, of it and um yeah so if you if you pay a certain amount of t- at- attention to that that's also what you get back and in that way i think it's a very nice experience and it can really be a lot of fun to teach so i really enjoy the teaching but it takes up a lot of time of course if you want to do it in that way if you don't just use your old lectures and Just get it over with. So I guess in the end, it's at least 70%, 75% teaching. And then I try try to squeeze in uh, research and and, and writing for the correspondent.
1: We want to also know, how did you end up in archaeology in the first place? Because you have a lot of interests.
2: Yes, but I was. I. I. uh, Archaeology was pretty clear for me. So even though I was interested in many things, I was really drawn by archaeology. So to go and study archaeology was sort of yeah. I knew that I wanted to do. I think maybe from my from fourth grade in high school that uh, archaeology was on the radar. So that was pretty clear, but. it's never been clear that I would end up here, where I am now. I mean, I was in my master already when basically my then lecturer said like, look, why aren't you doing a research master? Um, I don't know. Is there a research master? <laughs> so it's never been a plan to either do a research master, let alone a PhD. That yeah. was n- not, yeah. The, when I started my studies, that was definitely not the plan. But it sort of, yeah, it grew. I grew in the, into that direction by sort of, at some point, realizing like, okay, I did like the field work, but I really don't see myself um, in commercial archaeology. That
1: it's not something you wanna.
2: No, it uh, it just it it didn't seem. I wasn't engaged enough with w- with that. It didn't. Um, Tickle yeah, your I, fancy. Tickle my fancy. <laughs> 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 That's fine. <all. laughs> you put it like that. <laughs>
1: so uh, um, it kind of just fell into place.
2: Yeah, I think at some point I so I, maybe with my bachelor. Uh, thesis i realized like oh what i you know my grades weren't even that fantastic yeah. but then my, i wrote my bachelor thesis i really enjoyed that process now i'm pretty sure many students think i'm nuts for enjoying that but i liked that research and sort of the um autonomy that i got and really delving into something myself and asking the questions that i had or coming up with questions mm, and that worked out really really well like i had a or something i don't even remember pretty high grade so i realized like "Mm, it seems that i do like the research part and um well at some point uh, there was an opening for um, phd positions in a big european uh, project and also that was a kind of phd that wasn't filled in yet so it wasn't like you were responding to a specific position that already had a speci- specific question linked to it this was really open you had to send in your research question and uh, then i was invited to cambridge actually for uh, with uh, marie louise who had read the proposal and thought that my questions you know, she thought they were interesting she saw um what's the word i'm looking for
1: they tickled her fancy. Sorry, you can you can edit that out and just have to bring
0: it. <laughs> 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 I was really hoping you were. <laughs> <right.
1: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> I'm resisting.
2: Maybe potential or yes, that's thank you. So yeah, she saw the potential in it. So I wasn't in, actually invited to Cambridge, and well, maybe this comes back to I uh, don't really care for status or prestige in a way I had. I mean, I'm not naive. I realize Cambridge is a top university. But I didn't even apply for it because I well, I thought Arus would be sort of a better fit with me. But then I was invited to uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. I remember calling Harry, actually, and uh, telling him this. And he was like, whoa, whoa. And I was like, yeah, I'll have to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, I, I, I did... I did go, uh, of course. Uh, And had a fantastic time there. It was a... Yeah. That was the... uh, It was the right place for me. Especially also, again, for it being extremely broad. So, there was just so much going on there. All the presentations and great professors that you could go and listen to. Basically, I spent all my time there going to anything except (laughs) archaeology. Just... Because it was so stimulating, there was so much uh, uh, to do.
1: Getting back to your 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 uh, how your path formed, you got into the Bronze Age metallurgy. Was that always something you were interested in, or did that happen?
2: Well, I think I did have an interest in it, and I had an interest in 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 metal. That's because as a so as a as a as a young boy, I was interested in archaeology i I helped at some excavations i I also uh, saw metal detecting there and i helped on excavations with metal detecting so there was this sort of i had this latent relationship with metal i guess Uh, which which indeed brought me into that topic of of, uh, metallurgy but very quickly expanded so it became okay the introduction of metalworking and the introduction of a new material in a society and then realizing oh that's the bronze is just, just but one example of a new technology or a new innovation coming in what does that do to societies and then also taking that question actually to the present i constantly do that i use all my archaeological thinking also in the present um but yeah those are the roots it's important to have to have these very clear roots so it all starts in archaeology, but it balloons out into all these other topics. So right now, I'm mostly just engaged with to- questions on skill and craftsmanship and um, impact that materials have. So this, this whole masterclass is about how materials shape the human world.
1: Yeah, because your research uh, it really blurs the lines between archaeology, sociology, uh, anthropology, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it's always been part of me that I just I never really refrained myself to just reading archaeology but th- maybe this is also why Cambridge was such such a good match and why I'm so happy that uh, my supervisor my Louis sort of recognized this like oh he's a he's, he's the right person for the environment that we have here. Uh so Cambridge just sort of made that into uh, really at the, that's really at the heart of my work it's it's it goes i wouldn't say it goes everywhere i mean there's a clear focus transcends boundaries yeah, I just sort of go wherever my questions lead me I see no reason why I should stay within archaeology I think it's a very that's that's very narrow i don't I don't like that I get nervous. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, I get that. Would you say, because I personally see you as an accomplished uh, academic, do you see yourself that way?
2: No, I don't think it would be good also to see, it wouldn't be good to see yourself in that way. There's always, there's always room for development. That also makes it nice. It's also, you will never get a 10 from me. I'm one of those annoying oh, you never lecturers. Get. And that's for the reason I think, but then basically I'm saying then you're done. That's boring. You don't want to be done. Funnily enough, it seems that the further I progress, the more I feel this sort of imposter syndrome, you know, as in when I when I I went to Cambridge, this was one of the first sort of get to know uh, meetings that you had there with all the new uh, graduate students uh, was on this on imposter syndrome that many people have uh, feel this when they are in Cambridge. I never really felt it when I was there. I know why I was there and what I was doing. Um. I would say sometimes I I have that now, and it partly it might have to do with the fact that I'm sort of really I'm leaving archaeology now and then. I'm really searching for the very sort of uh, boundaries of what our field is or is, and I'm moving into other boundaries i don't even know whether i can define myself as an archaeologist anymore i don't know how my colleagues whether they (laughs) call me as a because for instance excavation is something that okay i i I can do that i have done that i've worked in Saslambata and hungary for quite a few years but excavations is really not that doesn't define my work at all so what does that make me so it's sort of um. Yeah, I'm a mess, <laughs> and at the same time, I guess that's also my strength. But that's also sort of uh, making me think like, wh- where exactly do I belong in this story?
1: What is your advice for aspiring archaeologists, academics?
2: For academics, it's smart to have something published as soon as possible. So. Uh, so, for instance, intersection would be nice just to have something published. Or, I mean, unfortunately, the groups are so big now, the student numbers. But one of the best things that I did was I wa- when I was a student, so as a research master, was um, to de- develop an idea, work on an article together with one other research master and a professor. And we actually got that published. And that was of a tremendous help to also, for instance, to get that PhD position. Uh, and just to see the whole process, how it works, and to get acquainted with peer review, and uh, yeah, how how it works to develop such an such an idea. So yeah, get something published would be a good idea. Um, also, don't create too much expectations. What do you mean by that? It doesn't work like that. So it's good to have a sense of direction, of sort of knowing what you're interested in and what you want, but keep it sort of. Vague, in the sense that you're not—it's not going to happen that you are going to be able to take off boxes exactly what you want and what you expect from life. That's not going to happen. But if you feel that something pops up, which you find interesting, which is sort of roughly in the direction of of uh, things that you you would like to pursue, yeah, go for it. If you get these opportunities, go go for them. Take the risk. Go for it. Huh? worst thing that can happen is that you don't succeed. So what? Then you try. Lose is more than hesitate. Is that uh,
1: how you got into all of these other fields as well?
2: Yes. It can be a bit daunting to go into other fields, basically, cause, because you don't know a lot about them. But I think if you're open about that in France, and honest, you just come with your expertise, and you show how you think that it's interesting for... The, the other field, you tend to get really positive responses and people actually really like that.
1: I, uh, I thought it would be interesting to go back to you, to your advice, you know, p- publish or get into a paper as soon as you can, get your work out there. How do you, you know, uh, how do you ha- help students do that? And what is the best way for students to do that, to find opportunities?
2: Ask your professor. I mean, if you have, uh, if you've written a really good uh, uh, thesis or uh, or a fantastic paper, ask uh, for possibilities. And as I said, intersection is always a a possibility. So go out there, ask. Yeah, I think you have to be. P- it's important that you're proactive. That is something that I would recommend if you really. Um, also, especially if you want to. Uh, get into academia yeah you have to be proactive in the sense that you also have to create your own opportunities now don't take that too eh, lit- literally but um yeah don't just wait and expect it to fall into your lab fall in to, to come to you uh eh, take the opportunity to get along and you have to have a little bit of a Um, dare to do some things that maybe are slightly uncomfortable. So, for instance, that writing for the correspondent, that actually came out of the, well, the problem of me having finished my uh, contract here, and I didn't have a job, and I was sort of... There was a job opening to which I obviously uh, responded, but it was unsure whether I was going to get that. And, look, I also... I wasn't afraid of leaving. Like I didn't. I, for me, it's not like academia is the only option. Uh, and 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 then my uh, my wife told me like, look, the cor- correspondent has an opening. Why don't you uh, apply? What do what do I have to lose? Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a job anyway. Why not just try the correspondent? Yeah. Uh, so so I did. I got invited to an interview, and in the end, uh, didn't get that specific job. Luckily, I got the position here. And then a few months later, the correspondent calls me and asks, says like, well, actually, eh, we thought about it a little bit more, and don't you want to write as a freelancer for us? So, and then we can also, you, you can get some more experience, and uh, we can uh, guide you in the writing process. So, I went from not having a job to actually having both the things that I really enjoy, which is also why I'm working <laughs> weekends now <laughs> I'm trying to juggle all these balls.
0: What you're basically saying is dare to yeah, go. there was
2: another... of of loses more than hesitate, yeah, not enough, I mean okay, the worst thing that can happen is that they would say, "Look, what the hell are you doing here you you You're an archaeologist, you're not a journalist, yeah." Do you feel like you
0: had to learn that? Because I feel like most people are quite scared to get no as an answer. Or do you feel like that just has always been in the person you are?
2: Yeah, I guess it's always been a bit. But I'm also not... uh, Maybe that's a lucky thing of being... uh, um, So I'm first-generation academic. Um, I'm not necessarily super impressed by... uh, someone with a professor title it's a human being i think they should behave decently whether you're a professor or whether you're a, a cao of some fancy company i don't care
0: we also had the question do you have a dream research
2: no i don't have a indeed a yeah. so it's it it has a direction like my, my work clear if you look at everything that i've done there's clearly a red line yeah. for it um but I'm not necessarily sort of very focused on the next point as in knowing exactly how that is going to look. So yes, I'm trying to develop a research project, which is about these um, human material interactions uh, in uh, in this framework of this new materialism. uh, And especially I'm intrigued that materials seem to influence our cognition, which relates back to skill Actually, with craftspeople, you see that a lot, that they say, well, the material tells me what to do, uh, which is a very intriguing comment if you think about it. And that's actually, and it's really shaping their knowledge. But then it must also be shaping how they think about the world and the metaphors that they're using. So that line of research I find extremely interesting. So that's the research side that I would like to develop. Some other project gets funded that draws me more in the direction of the sustainability debate. My, my focus, my work fits in there too. So it would just get a little bit of a different direction. And maybe that's also why I'm saying, look, don't create too heavy an expectation for yourself. Because that's tends limiting. to be a recipe for disappointment because it's not going to go exactly along those routes, and, and then you're going to be annoyed and frustrated, and it doesn't seem to be a good <laughs> modus operandi yet to yeah. be frustrated. And the other route that I'm, I want to develop is um, that I got an offer to write a book, a non-fiction book on that topic, which I absolutely love to do. But it is also developing the same ideas, but obviously in a very sort of, different yeah on a, on a different level so not in depth difficult research but yeah it's then the message becomes more important okay that's all very interesting but why do we want that that's going to be, be a book in a way about sustainability because that's sort of the whole reason why it exists
0: so at the end of the podcast we always give the opportunity to the guests to plug or to promote something they would like to promote
2: we got a grant recently uh, a small one we got a small grant for a science communication Ooh. and um, what we want to look into is um, the possibility of starting a YouTube channel which is uh, I, I, I realize very well how extremely difficult that is but well it's it's a, it's a interesting nonetheless because we don't we figure for archaeology on sort of a particular level of explanation there it's it's lacking and i think we have something to offer there that we can do together with students but we first need to do some research of course so we're looking for some students that want uh to help us with this to sort of make a map of what is already out there is there something that we're where that we can add and it will be a youtube channel that is sort of partly filled by. um uh, the experts and partly by uh uh students who wrote excellent papers and then are given the opportunity to actually explain that in layman's language, so it's about science communication also it's going to be probably it's going to be part of the science communication class if we do it. We might actually conclude that look, it's not a viable route, it's a waste of time, but yeah, we want we need to explore this first so. Yeah, if you're interested in exploring this or if you're interested in science communication in general, drop me an email.
1: Just for the people that don't know, what is science communication?
2: Let's say traditional science communication, I would say that's just making your uh, research available in in, uh, a language that uh, normal human beings can understand. So that would be one way of science communication. And I would say another route of science communication is really also putting a message in, in there, making a point because you have a specific perspective on society or on sustainability because you are an archaeologist so to use your archaeological thinking on present-day challenges uh, that we face interesting
1: um would you like to give a closing statement for your last podcast ever well actually let me you ask you uh do you want to plug something
0: Um, what I would like to plug is that I really hope that all the positive feedback and amazing messages I've gotten about the podcast will continue next year when, when the new team will take over and that every single person that listened to the podcast will keep doing that. That is all I would love to say. There you go. Yeah. So with that, thank you very much for listening and this will be my last goodbye.